Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Welcome to the Captain's Corner. I'm your host, Sonny Giuliano. Joining me, now technically on Super Bowl Sunday, to talk about the big game and a little bit of WWE if we have some time at the end is my cousin and frequent Captain's Corner guest, Paul Clark. First of all, happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's a fantastic day, isn't it? It's like a holiday. (laughs) It definitely is. Only I work, which we were just discussing. Should be double time, at least. It should be double time. I'm going to have to bring that up to somebody. Especially considering you work in a sports store, so I mean that. I mean, come on. I mean, technically, I'm not going to be missing any of the game. No. So no. that's that's the one good thing. I, I'm right. disappointed. This is the first year that I haven't been able to watch pregame for way too long in my whole life. So <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what that's going to do as far as my perception of the game and my anticipation of the game. I'm not quite sure. I I wrote about it this week in my my final NFL column. I don't know if you read it, but the whole point of it was this is arguably one of the most important Super Bowls, at least in recent memory, maybe ever. Did you by any chance read it? And if you did, did you have any disagreement with that kind of statement? No, I definitely read it. Uh, and I agree. I mean, so many things. I mean, you know, Brady and Belichick going for their fourth, uh, Russell Wilson looking for back-to-back, you know, this, this, the whole Seahawks maybe going down as, you know, possibly one of the greatest defenses ever. You know, if they beat Manning and Brady in back-to-back Super Bowls, I mean, what does that do for their, you know, resume as far as best defenses ever? I don't. I mean, I don't think – any 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 defense could ever say that they beat, I mean, arguably two of the top five best quarterbacks of all time in back-to-back Super Bowls. Well, all I know is the 85 Bears knocked off Tony Eason and Steve Grogan in one game. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to leave that one at that. Yeah. But uh, you're right. I mean, as far as what's on the line, and from historical purposes, I think it's right up there. I think probably the last Super Bowl that you could have made a case for, as far as most important Super Bowls go, is uh, Super Bowl 42 when New England was going for the 19 and up season. But this one, I mean, from a dynasty standpoint, so much is on the line for both of these teams. Um, New England going for their fourth Super Bowl. Seattle trying to become one of the very few teams who have won back-to-back in the first the mid-2000s Patriots. And 
kind of a – you sort of touched on it, seeing how Seattle would beat Denver and New England in back-to-back Super Bowls. It kind of changes – well, I would think it would sort of change the way that we look at the league, a league that is seemingly progressively becoming more and more about offense it would be pretty telling if a a team that was known for defense and known for being physical and known for running the ball had that much success in back-to-back years in a league that's becoming more and more about speed and passing and it is about protecting the quarterbacks and protecting the receivers. It it would kind of flip the league on its head in, in some sense. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean... I mean, if you look at it, I mean, obviously the last few years have just been, you know, offense, offense, offense. But, I mean, even if you look at the year before, it was the Ravens who, I mean, they were more based on defense, you know, with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, you know, and then the Seahawks last year. I mean, and even the year before it was the Giants who were more based on, you know, kind of a defensive team as well. So, I mean, I guess you could say offense gets you to the dance, but it's the defense is the one that always, you know, wins the final prize. Well, yeah, defense wins championships. That's the popular saying. But, yeah, it's interesting for a variety of reasons. Um We, I think we first have to talk about how we were really close to not even having Seattle in the Super Bowl. We The last time we talked on the podcast, we it was before the championship weekend games. And we'd be silly not to talk about Seattle's comeback. I, I've been thinking about it for the last two weeks. I, I can't really remember a more devastating NFL loss than the one at Green Bay suffered two weeks ago. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Because I've been thinking, and I didn't do a ton of research going back, but there was nothing off the top of my head that I could think of that was that bad and that surprising. Uh, I mean, that was just... that They dominated that game for, I mean, I guess you could say... 55 minutes, right? 50. Six fifty-seven minutes, maybe. You know what I mean? I, I mean, Seattle really couldn't do anything. Russell Wilson probably played the worst game I've ever seen him play. I mean, in the first half, he was just horrendous. I, I mean, I've really never seen him play look that frustrated or be, you know, that off on his throws. I mean, they were just they they couldn't do nothing. I mean. Green Bay was moving the ball. They were running it. They were throwing it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers looked way more effective in the pocket than he was against Dallas. He looked like the the calf wasn't bothering him as much. And it looked like Green Bay was well on their way to the Super Bowl, that's for sure. It was tremendous. I, I would love to see what the odds were at the point in time when Wilson threw that pick with about five minutes left and Green Bay was up 19-7, to 7, 
you'd be able to get insane odds on if you were going to bet Seattle to win that game. And it just it snowballed. I've never seen anything like that. The, the closest thing that came to my mind, and I don't even know in retrospect if it was as bad, was thinking back to the 2013 NBA Finals, San Antonio blowing game six, but I don't even know if that was as improbable as what happened with Green Bay. Just everything that had to go wrong, I mean, went wrong. They got an onside kick recovery. When does that happen? Not too often. That happens maybe three times a year. So many things. In a spot when you need it to happen. So many different things had to happen. Green Bay not picking up a first down, I mean, over the last quarter of football, basically. Um, You know, the onside kick, that improbable two-point conversion pass that I don't know how ha-ha Clinton Dix didn't knock down, that he just watched the guy catch the ball or watched Luke Wilson catch the ball and get into the end zone. And how about the the fake field goal? Which it seems like everybody's forgetting in the third quarter when Seattle couldn't do anything, and they dial up a fake field goal, I mean, that's kind of getting lost in the shuffle because it happened so early in the game, but... And if you're going to go back to that, you got to go back to what happened earlier in the drive on third and 19 when Wilson finds Doug Baldwin Yeah, for the big game where he's just wide open. Just so many different plays. I mean... Uh, Green Bay getting stopped on second and one, third and or second and goal, third and goal, and, and having to settle for a field goal from the half yard line, then having to settle for a field goal again from the one yard line. That stuff, I mean, that's what loses you games when you don't score touchdowns and you leave teams that you know that doors open just a little bit. Sometimes it gets kicked in. Yeah, it was a perfect combination of bad luck, the offense not being able to move the ball and get one first down, the defense not being able to stop an otherwise really, really bad Seattle offense late in the fourth quarter, and really bad coaching. Those those McCarthy field goals instead of going for it on fourth down, I thought that was terrible. And as somebody who was rooting for Seattle in that game, I was relieved that Green Bay kicked the field goals instead of trying to go for it from the half yard. You have to score touchdowns, especially that early. Right. That, yeah. What was that? The first drive, and you're at the and, half yard line. And worst case scenario, you don't get it. It's still zero zero and. 99 yards to go, right? You have to go for it. There's no other choice. You have to give your team the confidence that, you know, you could, that you're going to score touchdowns. You know, we're going to go for this. All year, you know, when you watch Green Bay, they were the aggressor. They would have went for that on fourth and goal. Every game I watched him play this year, and for some reason, he just, you know, figured he should take the points. And, you know, you hear his, his interview at halftime, and he was a confident guy, Mike McCarthy. I mean, he 
the sound of his voice was there was no way they were going to lose that game. They were, I mean, they had Seattle, I mean, dialed in. Like, they couldn't, Seattle couldn't do nothing. Marshawn Lynch couldn't get going. And then all of a sudden, that beach mode kicked in, and you just see the the Seattle momentum start growing. It's It's like they feed off him, and it's, you know, he gets the ten yard run and then he gets going again and then he and then he catches a pass. And then they get that touchdown and there's like, wow, there's over the two minute warning, there's a shot and then they get the onside kick. And if you didn't think Seattle was gonna score after they got that onside kick, you were just fooling yourself. Oh, you knew it. You absolutely knew it. And at that point it became how much time are they gonna leave Green Bay? Exactly. I mean it and they actually there was just no score. doubt. They did score too quick, and you have to give credit to Rodgers because for almost that entire fourth quarter, it seemed like Green Bay couldn't move the ball. And I, I thought that, that last drive to get him in the field goal position, he looked good. He I, he made a couple plays with his feet, which, you know, with a bad calf, you weren't sure if he was going to be able to do that. But, that I mean, that was a hell of a game. It, it was a hell of a fourth quarter in overtime. That that drive too. The coaches botched that too. They hit Randall Cobb on like a sixteen yard pass with like a minute left and they didn't call a timeout with three left. And then yeah. the clock just ticks and ticks and ticks and they don't get another playoff till like forty seconds. Then Rogers scrambles and it takes, you know, then they're down to twenty five seconds and I mean Yeah, it was three timeouts. You got to go for the win right there. You kind of got Seattle backpedaling, get a timeout, get situated, get another play in. You know, you still got plenty of time and two timeouts from the 45. And instead, you're letting the clock run. And yes, they got a nice gain on the next play down to like the 30, but you're down to 25 seconds instead of 50. Yeah, it was very, very bad clock management. And that and that's on McCarthy. I mean, plus you got, you know, your quarterback's gimping. So he's not getting up to the line as fast as he normally would, you know, with two good legs because he can't move. I mean, and exactly. That's not, that, that's not Rodgers' fault. So you got to just... No, that, that's why it's on McCarthy. You got to... For I mean, sure. You have the timeouts in your holster. You got to take them and, you know, let Rodgers get settled and not having to run up to the line and get a good play call in. And there was just, there was none of that. It seemed like Green Bay stopped playing with a sense of urgency. And, you know, you have to give credit to Seattle. They couldn't get anything going, but they kept playing hard and it paid off. And they're in the Super Bowl now. Yeah. I mean, I, I I still find it hard to believe. So, what do we make of? Well, I didn't even want to say the phrase "deflated balls" or "deflate gate," but if we're going to talk about New England, I guess I need to say it, even if we're not going to talk about it. Um. You're of the persuasion that this whole thing doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, right? I think it's the biggest 
waste of time in NFL history. Okay, they won the game forty-five to seven. The balls in the that they're referring to that were the deflated balls happened in the first half when the game was close. The second half, all their balls were good. So with good balls in the second half, they scored at will. With deflated balls in the first half, they had a hard time scoring. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? I mean, let's just call it how it is. If there were any other team but New England, they would have talked about it on Center for one day, and it would have been exactly. Like, people have said to me at my place of work, you know, New England cheated, this and that. I said, how did they cheat? Well, they used, they took air out of their balls. I said, did that help them run the football for 200 yards? Did that make Indianapolis not tackle them? I was rooting for Indianapolis. I wanted Indianapolis to win. That was a mismatch. They could have never stood a chance. They could have played with any kind of ball they wanted, and they would have won the game. It's it's stupid. Yes, and we don't need to put any more time into that. I just need to make sure that that we are on the same page. So, so New England, Seattle, Super Bowl Forty Nine. Last year, we were both on Seattle. We we sniffed that one out, and we had a feeling that that Seattle might win big. Neither of us had the balls to make that prediction. I was really conflicted this year with this one. As was I. I, I I've been I, going back and forth for the last two weeks, and, you know, after you watch the games on, you know, the championship games, you're quick to judge to say, oh, I'm going to win the Super Bowl because obviously they look better that day. But I said to myself, you can't do that. Let, you know, think about it for a while and, you know, kind of do some research and look at the matchups and then make your decision when it's time to do the podcast your mind is right. So that's what I've done. I kind of did the same thing. And I I put out my, my prediction earlier than the podcast, which I normally don't do. I usually, like I, like I did last week, I wanted to preserve my perfect 8-0 record. And I didn't want to make my pick on the podcast because I wasn't sure what I was doing yet. But... I just, I don't, I agree with you. My my first thought was, you know, base the pick on these games, New England so much better. But then I got to thinking, Seattle's probably not going to play that bad again. And I got to thinking, well, what if, what if I based it on the divisional round? If that were the case, Seattle looks much better than New England did. And you can't just base it on one game. Every game is so much different, and every matchup is so much different. And 
that's why this one was tough because, you know, in a lot of ways, these two teams, they appear to be very even. And what one team does well, the other team can, you know, counter and do something else well, or they can take that away. What matchups have you found in your research that you think are going to end up deciding this game? Um, I've looked at basically every possible matchup because I really, I like this game. Like, I think these are two, the two teams that really deserve to play in the Super Bowl. Granted, I know Seattle probably got outplayed in their last game, but I, I felt going into the playoffs that these were the two best teams in their respective conferences. Yeah, if we're looking at it from, like, a body of work standpoint, you'd say that all season long, if we're looking at what they've done, you know, week one through week 17, these were the two best football teams. And when completely healthy, they were better than everybody else. So I started doing my research, and I pulled up schedules. And I was looking at Seattle's schedule, and I said, okay, they played Green Bay, then they played San Diego, then they played Denver. Then they played Washington, and then they played Dallas. Now, on October 12th, they played Dallas and lost at home to Tony Romo. Now, from October 19th on, these are the quarterbacks Seattle played. I, I Austin Davis, Cam Newton, Derek Carr, Eli Manning, uh... Alex Smith, Drew Stanton, Colin Kaepernick twice, Mark Sanchez, um, whoever the four-string quarterback for Arizona is. What's that guy's name? <laughs> Ryan Lindley. Well, Ryan Lindley and Sean Hill. Now, granted, they crushed all them teams. Not really the greatest offenses in the world. So I think Seattle's defense looks maybe a touch better on paper than they've actually been. Because if I, when I watched them, the eye test against Carolina and Green Bay in the playoffs was both teams moved the ball on them fairly well. I thought Cam Newton had a very good game against them the first week, which we talked about in our last podcast, I thought both teams were able to run the ball on them, and I thought um, they they struggled to get to the quarterback. But then I also looked at Seattle as far as their secondary is just so good. You know, Cam Chancellor, who... There's definitely one of my favorite players in the league. Earl Thomas, Sherman, and a very underrated corner in Byron Maxwell, who I don't think gets enough credit because he's very good. So I'm looking at it, and I was like, New England's offense matches up with Seattle's defense. I'd like to say that's probably best on best, wouldn't you? Like the best. Say that, say that like, again. Like you would say Seattle's defense is their strong point and New England's offense is their strong point, correct? Yes, yeah, I'd agree. 
So then I had to come down to, you know, I had to think what was better, Seattle's offense or New England's defense. Both teams have had their fair share of ups and downs. And it was, you know, a tough decision for me. And I don't know if you want me to go as far as saying who I'm picking now, but that's what basically made my decision. Okay. It's funny you bring up the quarterback's point because I did the same thing. I thought about how they played weak, weak offenses down the stretch. And then I thought about last year and if it were at all similar. So I went back and I looked last year. And over the last two months of the year, it's kind of a similar story. So last year, in the last two months of the regular season, here are the quarterbacks that Seattle played. It was Mike Glennon, Christian Ponder, Kellen Clemens, Carson Palmer, and then you had Drew Brees in the regular season and the playoffs, and Colin Kaepernick in the regular season and the playoffs. So, like you said, Newton and Rodgers moved the ball well. They looked pretty good. The story was kind of the same with Breeze and Kaepernick in the playoffs. Breeze threw for over 300 yards. Kaepernick, you know, had a little bit of a shaky game throwing the ball, rushed for 130 against Seattle. So there was some success moving the ball. And then you get to the Super Bowl, and they just devour Denver. One of the best offenses in NFL history. So that made me a little hesitant to think, well, they gave up some yards, they gave up some points to Cam and Rodgers, so maybe the story is going to be the same for New England. That would be my piece in defense of Seattle's defense. That's, that's very good. That's definitely true. What I, I mean, would have to say is we're, we're, de- we're dealing too with different style quarterbacks with different weapons around them, a slightly different defense. But it is kind of telling that for the most part last year they feasted on an easy schedule late with quarterbacks who, you know, weren't going to do much and those quarterbacks didn't have weapons that could help them do much. And then in the playoffs the quarterbacks they played had a little bit of success. And the Super Bowl, it was just locked down Legion of Boom defense. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who's saying, you know, their defense hasn't been, you know, at that elite level the last two games, I, I would just caution them that you could have made the same argument last year too. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you four names that played a huge role on Seattle's team last year. And that's Red Bryant, 
and Chris Clemens on defense and Golden Tate and Percy Harvin on offense. That's a run stuffer, a pass rusher, and two big play weapons on offense that are no longer there. Now, in my opinion, Seattle's not as good as they were last year. Still very, very good. Very good. And this is what scares me. Do they have enough playmakers to beat Belichick? That's the, I think, if you're a Seattle fan, that's your biggest worry. I can't see New England going in and putting up more than 27 points, 24 points, somewhere in that area. Two to three touchdowns and a field goal. I I've think said, he, I've said all I think, week that the thing I like the most in the game is the under. Under 48 points to me is... Which is weird. I, I went over with my pick. Yeah, and I... I saw that. I just think, I I don't think neither team will move the ball consistently for the game. Like, I I just can't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, that would be my big worry if I were a Seattle fan. That New England might only score 20 points and my offense might not be able to get to that number. Another thing I worry about as a Seattle fan is Sherman, hyperextended elbow. Yeah. Earl Thomas, dislocated shoulder. Now Pam Chancellor goes down to practice yesterday with a knee. Granted, he practiced a little bit today. They said he looked, you know, he's obviously going to play. That's three of your four Legion of Boom coming into this game really not at 100%. No. And that's the, to beat Rob Gronkowski, they need Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor to be Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. And that's the thing too, like even with those guys totally healthy and, and the numbers are skewed a little because the defense didn't get totally healthy till midway through the year. And oh absolutely. They were out without Bobby Wagner, without Cam Chancellor for games, and those are arguably two of their biggest defensive players. Yeah, and, and, you know, the numbers showed, I saw this stat pretty telling, that they were, like, second to last in, like, receiving yards allowed by opposing tight ends. Yeah. In that time. And, And... they're slightly better once Chancellor and Wagner came back. But, you know, if you're looking to exploit something in the Seattle defense, it is Gronkowski, and that happens to be New England's biggest weapon offensively. Definitely. And, you know, another thing the Green Bay that had success with was the short, quick, like, slants, you know. Yeah, that's what New England does well. And that's that's their bread and butter. I just, and you know, it's, it's just so many things that there are to 
you know, look at in the game and, you know, then you got to worry about, you know, if you, you know, as a New England point of view is, you know, how Justin Forsett runs for a ton of yards in the first game. You know, how are they going to stop Marshawn Lynch? You know, how how are they going to, you know, stop the read option with Russell Wilson? <laughs> yeah, I mean, very, really, very... really, really in the AFC, they don't see anything like that. Any kind of read option type offense, which it presents an interesting challenge for New England's defense. And and really, if if Seattle's going to put up points, you, you'd think it's going to be Lynch. Or at least a byproduct of Lynch having a ton of success early, and that opens up things a lot for Wilson. Yeah, because I think, in my opinion, Seattle's receivers are um, at a big disadvantage <laughs> on the outside against Revis and Broner. Well, yeah, you figure that, that Revis is just going to be able to take – he's probably going to be able to just take Baldwin out of it. Just take him out of the game. And then Seattle's counting on a number of no-name other receivers, Curse and – and you know you have Wilson there who who might make some plays, but you know they have nobody else on the outside that can really hurt you. Mm-hmm. So it is going it is going to be a heavy dose of Marshawn Lynch. You you'd think three players for New England that are going to play a big role defensively are Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins and Rob Nikovich, because they're going to be the ones controlling that read option. And if they can control Russell Wilson not letting him run the ball and they just turn the read option into a one-dimensional thing, you know, that's going to be a, a big advantage for the Patriots. All right, we're close to prediction time. And from what I'm gathering from you, you're picking New England. I am picking New England, yeah. I, I Believe me, it was – I've gone back and forth probably every day this week I woke up thinking I like to love the other team. But it just came down to me I, – I just – I don't know how Seattle's going to move the ball. I really don't. I, I think – I think they're going to get locked down on the outside. I think Green Bay really exposed their receivers. I mean, I know they made big plays in in overtime, Baldwin and Curse, and I I, I just don't know how they're going to beat Browner and and Revis. I feel like New England's going to be able to bring a lot of guys in the box and just have confidence in those two guys to play man on man and basically the other nine to shut down Lynch and Wilson. And and I think that's where New England has a big advantage. I can't disagree with anything you're saying and I and I picked Seattle. So <laughs> that's that's kinda of troubling for me. I just feel 
I, I, I don't know if I'm being a sucker for the narrative, but I feel like I feel like the repeat is the way it ends up, and I think I think Lynch goes out with a big game. And my prediction, which I can't find a prop bet for anywhere, I'm going to say it right now before we get into the prop bets because that's always my favorite part of this podcast. I think that Marshawn Lynch wins the Super Bowl MVP and announces his retirement after the game. Uh, nothing he would do after the game would really surprise me, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. At this point. <laughs> but that's my prediction. I think I think that they can muster enough offense, mainly on the ground with that read option. I think since New England hasn't seen much of it, they'll have a, enough success where they'll be able to work that consistently and get something out of the pass game. Even if it's one big play, one breakdown in coverage where, you know, Ricardo Lockett somehow gets open down the field. I think that happens, and I think their defense can make a couple plays, even though they are banged up. Um, That's what I'm basing it on, but I truthfully wouldn't be surprised if New England won. Um, Like you, I went back and forth on this one just about every day, and... uh, I'm fully expecting it to be a good game, which which is nice because last year was not a good game. No. I think last year the game kind of turned out how we both thought it could. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it having some Tampa Bay-Oakland potential, and I think you got mad at me for bringing that game up. Well, I mean... I don't know. If, I don't know if Seattle knew every play that Denver was going to run. I just think that they were that much better than them. But uh, anyway, we won't talk about that. But I think New England is a lot more of a physical team than Denver. Yeah, I think defensively they're way better. Um, I think if New England gets punched in the mouth early, they're not going to cower it up. And I think Denver kind of did last year. I think. You know, New England's kind of like a chameleon. One week, you know, they'll not run the ball at all. Then the next week, they'll run it for 200 yards and four touchdowns. So if you're Seattle, what do you – Seattle's going to be Seattle. Like, they just come out and they play their defense, and they're like, we're better than you, so go ahead and do what you got to do. But New England will bring a lot of different matchups them that they really haven't seen. New England will spread out running backs and they'll, you know, flex out tight ends and they'll do all these crazy formations and then they'll come at you with LeGarrette Blount and Vereen and whoever else that, you know, Belichick's got hiding. I mean, who knows? Maybe Jonas Gray's back in good graces after <laughs> five weeks or six weeks or whatever, how long it's been. You know, you, you don't know. And, no, you don't. And that, that presents a, a really tricky challenge for any kind of defense going up against an offense like that that can take on so many different identities. Because you know that New England is going to come in with a game plan 
and they're going to do what they feel they can best do against that specific defense. You know, Seattle's defense hasn't really been getting to the passer that well. Um, Both playoff games, I feel Rodgers and and Cam both had time in the pocket. It's just they rely on that legion of boom so much. And them guys are great. And I like, I can't wait to watch, you know, the first time Gronkowski catches a pass and Cam Chancellor hits him to see, you know, what happens. Like, I think, I think the whole field just might explode. Uh, I mean, it's going to be like incredible. Like, <laughs> like uh, those guys are great, and like, I hate. I actually like Seattle as a team more. Like, I, I like Seattle as a team. I like Rudy for them. I. I you know, but I just, my head is telling me New England's just a little better. And I I just kind of feel like after the beginning of the year, the way it started for New England and everybody kind of counted them out, they went on that big run where they were just killing teams. And then they kind of flattened out a little bit where they, they were winning, but they didn't really look as good. And I think now this whole thing with the the you know the ball situation kind of Belichick's got them like all right they think we got to you know so called cheat to win let's go show them that we can kick their butts without you know having to worry about anything and I don't think it's, they're going to kick their butts but I think they're gonna I think they're gonna come out with a with a little chip on their shoulder. No, I'd agree with that. It's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, I, I, we kind of touched on it earlier. I think these are the two best teams in football. And, you know, for selfish reasons, I'm glad Seattle was able to find a way to win in a game last week or two weeks ago where they didn't play they played arguably their worst game of the Russell Wilson era, but it should be fun. And uh, now we got to get to my favorite part, the prop bets. <laughs> you know I love my, you know I love me some prop bets. I know you're a big fan of the prop bets. Have you looked at any of them? I have seen a few. Okay, we always talk about the Gatorade one. What color is the Gatorade going to be that's dumped over the head coach, the winning team? And we still haven't found a way to to fix this bet. We need to get in with, like, an equipment manager or somebody at one of these stadiums and find a way to win big on this bet. My pick for this year is blue. I think it's a safe bet. I think both teams, because they have blue in their uniforms, blue is a good option. Um, orange is the favorite. We have clear in water, next in line, yellow after that, and then blue. Um, for the odds that you can get, I think I'd go blue. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, blue's definitely got a you know, definitely got a shot. Orange is the prohibitive favorite, though. It seems like orange is every year, and yeah. do we know why? Is it orange that is like the one that gets it every year? Is that why it's always remained? 
the favorite the orange, year we've done this Orange was the color last year. So, obviously, if Seattle wins, it's probably going to be orange again because they're looks like so so somebody should be they should be going back and watching New England Super Bowls and seeing if there's a consistent color and you could probably come up with a nice little parlay. Does New England have the guts to dump Gatorade on Belichick though? I Do think they, they will. the Gatorade bath? Well I actually I know that you can bet on um whether Bill Belichick will smile on camera during the game. Now, I don't know if during the game will count, you know, if they they pour the Gatorade over him with time on the clock and he cracks a smile, I, I'd assume it's, you'd win that bet. Yeah, it's from opening kickoff to the last bell. So Okay, so will Belichick smile during the game on camera? Um Yes is plus 140, no is minus 180. Me thinking New England is going to win, I would bet yes. So that's a really nice nice parlay right there that we have going. If you think New England is going to win, you probably want to bet yes for smiling on camera. You want to bet New England, and you probably want to go back and watch some old Super Bowl tape and find out what the Gatorade color was. Right. And you can make yourself a nice chunk of change. And get yourself some cashola. Now, here's another one that I like, and I feel like I have this one pegged. Which song will Katy Perry sing first during the halftime show? We have Firework as the favorite, then Roar, then American Woman in a duet with Lenny Kravitz. Then This Is How We Do, then Dark Horse, then E.T., then California Girls, then Hot and Cold. I wish I could find a way to parlay this bet and imagine that I would actually bet it. Because if that were the case, I would bet Roar is the first song and Fireworks is the last one. Right. Because Roar, you get to halftime, we need some big pop song. That's a good one to start. Get the crowd into it. And then fireworks at the end, you end with a big fireworks display. You've been thinking about this, haven't you? Oh, more than I probably should have. (laughs) (laughs) More than I would like to admit. (laughs) Um, I already gave my prediction of Marshawn Lynch winning the... Super Bowl MVP. He is uh he has five to one odds right now to an MVP. He's only behind Brady and Russell Wilson. Um Gronk is next in line ten to one. Legarrett Blunt is twelve to one. Julian Edelman sixteen to one. Cam Chancellor sixteen to one. The way these odds stack up, it tells me that that Bavada is really counting on a Patriots victory because there are a lot more Patriots players at the top of this list than there are New or, uh, Seattle players. I think it's just for the fact of if you look at if Seattle wins, I mean, there's, 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 there's more of a recipe for that. Yeah, 
like New England has more of a buffet of people that get the ball and play parts in the game where you know what Seattle's going to do. Marshawn Lynch is going to run it, and Russell Wilson is going to run it and throw it. So that's <laughs> most true. likely it's going to be one of them too. But my counter-argument to that would be last year Malcolm Smith was the MVP. Yeah, that was. I don't think that was right. I don't think he should have been MVP. Who do you think is? Did you say Percy Harvin? I I think Percy Harvin should have won it because I thought he was the major difference in that game. He had the he had the kickoff to return the second half. That ended up. That was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and and how many of them jet sweeps did he have that just? I mean, the first play of the game, he took one for thirty yards. And probably yeah. would have been a touchdown. He just stepped out of bounds. No, you're right. I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not sure why Malcolm Smith got that MVP award. I, I know he had the interception return for a touchdown, but it was a tip ball that fell into his lap. I, I mean, the guy doesn't even start for him anymore. I don't know. I, I feel like that was kind of like the Larry Brown MVP of the Dallas Pittsburgh Super Bowl. There's the one like that with. Uh... I hate to bring it up again. Um, Dexter Jackson. Yeah, Dexter Jackson, Oakland, and Tampa Bay. Yeah. Thanks, bud. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Just wait. I'm going to continue to upset you because just wait until we start talking about WWE. I'm going to make you talk about Brock Lesnar. Awesome. My favorite subject. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I put a lot more thought into like the the non-game the non-game uh, prop bets for the Super Bowl. I just had a strong feeling about a lot of them. Um, if there is any way that I can parlay the two Katy Perry songs with Marshawn Lynch winning MVP, with Marshawn Lynch announcing his retirement after the game. I would actually put money on that, like physical money that I possess. And I'll tell you, just, be, if you hit, just because if you that would, that, make, yeah, it'd make me a millionaire. Oh, wow! But I don't know any way that I can parlay all of that. Yeah, I'm not real sure that myself. But anyway, Super Bowl 48 or 49, technically now today, we're on Sunday. That should be fun. We'll definitely have to talk about that in another podcast. But now we have a little bit of time left for WWE. What were your I'm thoughts on the Royal the Rumble? Bowl. Did you What's want to score in the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, we didn't do scores. We made predictions, but no scores. I like New England 20 to 16. Okay. I had Seattle 26-24. So, you know, an interesting stat I saw today, um, four of – it was four or five of New England's Super Bowls that they've played in have been decided by four points or less. Yeah, five of the six that Brady and Belichick have been in together have been decided by four points or less. 
And of the other 42 Super Bowls that have been played, um, only seven other ones have been decided by four points or less. I heard, I was listening to the radio yesterday, and they said, isn't it weird that Tom Brady is two miraculous catches away from being 5-0 and in Super Bowls, and he's two, you know, a few plays away from being 1-4 in Super Bowls? It's pretty crazy. I mean, it's interesting to think of it like that. You know, he's basically two miraculous catches away from being, you know, without a doubt, the best quarterback ever. You oh, know, yeah. 5-0 and in Super Bowls, and he's a few plays away to be in. You know, can Tom Brady win the big game? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it'd, it'd be like a, an Elway situation where he didn't get those two until the last two years of his career. Although yeah. they were blown out in those early Super Bowls, but... Yeah, yeah. Funny how things work. Yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. So WWE. to a good game for sure. Absolutely. Um, what were your thoughts on the Royal Rumble? I thought it was good. Um, I thought the the triple the triple threat match was fantastic. That was probably one of the better title matches I've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, the Rumble I think it's, match itself, I, I didn't think they had enough of, like, the like the guys that went over the crowd in the ring at the same time. Like, I didn't like it how, like, Bray Wyatt was just eliminating guy after guy, and it was just, like, one-on-one for, like, the first 11 guys. You know, Daniel Bryan's early exit was kind of very surprising to me. Yeah. Like... Like, I kind of had a feeling Roman Reigns is going to win, and I really don't have a problem with him winning. It's just, like, like I'm sick of the whole Big Show and Kane thing. Like That was horrible. That, that was bad. Um, as, far as, the Wyatt, as far as the Wyatt thing goes, and I don't know if you want me to bring up some potential WrestleMania spoilers. If you don't, we can steer the conversation the other way, but... I have read that there was a method to that. Oh, really? What was that? What's the method? Yeah. Apparently, they're trying to make Bray Wyatt look strong for an upcoming WrestleMania feud with the previously undefeated Undertaker. Really? That's what I've read. That's what's floating around on the line. The Undertaker is going to fight again as bad as he looked in WrestleMania last year? Apparently. That's the rumor. And to be honest with you, if if he can go, I think the build-up to the Wyatt-Undertaker match could be absolutely tremendous. Yeah. I like Bray Wyatt. I, I think he's very, very talented. That's why I just wish it would have been more, like, if I wish he was in the ring with, like, the, I don't know, like he was in there with the boogeyman. 
Right. No, I mean, there are better ways to get him in a spot where he looks strong. But I think the whole point was they wanted him to eliminate a ton of guys and give him a long run in the Rumble because they wanted to make him look good going into a feud with The Undertaker. But that that is just the rumor. I really so, didn't The Undertaker would wrestle this year. I didn't either, but I don't know. I, I don't know what else they do with him. With uh, Wyatt, but so you're okay with Reigns winning? Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I don't know, like, I don't think it's just going to be Reigns against Lesnar in the main event at WrestleMania. There's going to be a twist to that. Either Rollins is going to be involved in the match, or, or Rollins will be the champion by then, or something will be. Because to me, Lesnar and Reigns is a disaster of a main event. It's a bad... Here's how I think that could be saved. Don't let Reigns or Lesnar talk. Yeah. (laughs) Let Paul Paul Heyman do every bit of talking, and that match will be good at least from a build-up standpoint. Right. Yes. Because I th- I actually think Heyman can do a really good job selling this match. Yeah, for sure. For sure he can. And but in the ring, it won't be it won't be great. And I even if Paul Heyman were to do the absolute best job that he could, making the match seem important. Up until WrestleMania, I still think the crowd is going to boo the hell out of it. Yeah. Were you surprised by how negative the reaction was for Reigns? I was. I mean, that bad. I mean, I understand that not everybody's going to like him, but I've never heard the crowd boo him like that. Like, usually it's mostly cheers for him. And there was mostly cheers the other night after on SmackDown. I don't know if you watched SmackDown, but I haven't caught it yet. I I just think that Philip. See, I think Reigns came in at a bad time because the crowd was just so bent on Daniel Bryan being eliminated. They were just like booing everybody at that point, but Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose. Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> Damian Mizdow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just didn't want to see anybody. They weren't even that excited to see The Rock. No, that that was the thing. Even The Rock couldn't save Roman Reigns at that point. I I like to think I saw it coming because I went to wrestling in July. I went to the Battleground pay-per-view. And uh, that was right after The Shield broke up. And at that point, when, you know, all the internet rumors were starting to come out that they were going to be building Reigns you know, into the next top guy. At that point when he should have been really over with the crowd, he wasn't really that over with the crowd. Like, there were at least five other guys at that pay-per-view who got bigger pops than he did. And that's troublesome. I mean, 
I think also what hurt Reigns too was the injury because he was just kind of getting really, I don't know, he was one of the bigger guys when he got the hernia injury. Yeah. I think since then, like, Dean Ambrose has, like, skyrocketed so much. And other guys have, you know, like, everybody loves Dolph Ziggler. And, you know, it's just like Reigns was gone for two months and everybody kind of forgot about him. Well, even, you know, with Reigns completely healthy and with any crowd behind him, you know, Royal Rumble is obviously a different scenario, and I doubt every crowd going forward is going to be that vocal against him, but I can't see him, you know, with the way they're using him right now, being any more than the fourth most popular guy on the roster. It seems like Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose are all ahead of him, probably in that order. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I I kind of feel like Daniel Bryan. I know the crowd goes nuts for him still a little bit, but when he left last year, he just was like at the top of his game. And he's looked kind of rusty in the ring to me his, his first couple times back too, which obviously it's been almost a year, so that's going to happen. But he definitely doesn't look like the Daniel Bryan that he was when he got hurt. See, here's how I w- I agree with you. By the way, here's how I would have booked everything. I would have had Rollins win the title. I would have had Ziggler win the Rumble, and I would have had the build up for that title match be. Rollins saying that Ziggler couldn't beat him without Stink's help, this and that. And those two would have put on a really, really good wrestling match. Yeah. I would have had... I probably would have had Reigns go heel and him and Daniel Bryan have a match. I would have, I like the Cena and Rusev thing. I think that's good. I think it will be good. Um, yeah, because Cena's going to be the first guy to beat them. Right. And which, which here's the thing. I'd like it better if Rusev beat Cena and they save that win for somebody who needed it. But they aren't going to do that. Um, I actually would have had Bray Wyatt face Brock Lesnar. And I would have had... Oh, the Sting-Triple H match I think will have really good build-up and I think will probably be a little better in the ring than most people would think. Really? See, yeah. I'm, I'm very sketchy about that. Sting hasn't fought in so long. I don't know. I... That that kind of scares me a little bit. From uh, it's kind of the same with the Reigns and Lesnar match. From a build-up standpoint, I don't think it will disappoint. In the ring, the product might suffer a little bit, but at least if they book it the right way, it'll feel like a big deal. Like the crowd's gonna love it because it's Sting. 
You know what I mean? Like the crowd's gonna yeah. love the match because it's staying. And then I think halfway through it, they're gonna be like, "This kind of sucks." Yeah, I, I mean, granted, I didn't watch TNA at all, so I don't know how Sting was performing when he was still wrestling there. So it's tough but for it's me to make a wild, judgment, but right. It's I think you. Yeah, I think he was wrestling right up until the point when he, like, signed with WWE. Oh, so, indeed. even still, yeah, even still, it's been, like, a year since he had any in-ring action. But, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I guess we won't know. I, I Like I said, I haven't watched him at all. I didn't watch TNA at all, so I don't know if and how he was performing. But, I don't know. I feel like there's some potential for a really good WrestleMania. It just needs to be booked the right way. I've read that Ziggler and Brian might have a match with each other, which would bring the house down. I read that. Um, Who do you think would be like the heel in that match? See, how I would book it is I'd find a way to make that a number one contender match and not have either of them be a heel. And I'd just let the crowd cheer them both. I wouldn't try to turn either of them. If they were going to turn somebody, it would probably be Ziggler. But I would just, I would have a number one contender match, make it a big deal that way, and let those two have 20 minutes and just bring the house down. And then every, here's a comical part, and here's what tells me that WWE and, like, the creative decision-makers have no idea what they're doing. I read online that they were considering having that be the first match. Why in, why in God's name would you put your two most over guys in a match first on the card so then the crowd could boo everything else for the rest of the night? Right. Yeah, that would be a disaster. I swear to God. If they think, book it like that. Do you think WrestleMania Rollins will fight Randy Orton? That makes sense. Because they're kind that, of putting Rollins in no man's land right now. Yeah, I I don't know what they're going to... I don't know how they're going to do that. Because, like... They've already announced that Brock and Reigns is the title match. And as far as I know, they're not going to have Brock defend at the the next pay-per-view. You probably won't even see Brock till WrestleMania. (laughs) He's going to be on Raw. Yeah, he'll come in. He he fights a lot. He's a good champion. He's fought like three times since he won the belt. That's pretty good. (laughs) I I absolutely love your anti-Brock venom. (laughs) That's one of my favorite things. And I'll be the first to tell you, that match was probably the best match I've ever seen him in the other night. I I was impressed. Like, it started off, and I was like, really, I'm just going to watch this guy give suplexes the whole match again. But then it turned into a good match. You want to know why? Because they left him out of most of it. Oh, come on. (laughs) That's why it was a good match. 
because he sat and pretended like he was hurt for a half hour. That's what turned that match into a good match. Two guys that can actually wrestle, wrestle most of the match, and then Lesnar got to win. That's one thing you and I are never going to agree on. <laughs> well, once we start to get the, the WrestleMania picture a little more clear, we're going to have to talk about it again. Hopefully Brock will have an appearance on Raw by then. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's 2 a.m. I have to I have to work tomorrow. So, Paul Clark, thank you very much for talking Super Bowl 49 and WWE with me. We're going to have to recap what will hopefully be an instant classic Super Bowl. Absolutely. I hope it is. I hope it's a really good game. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully it's just a close game. I agree. Well, uh, yeah, we're going to have to recap Super Bowl, do a little NBA, maybe more WWE. Sounds like a plan. All right. Take care. Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back soon. Good night. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.